invite you to be turning to James chapter 3, if you have a Bible. James chapter 3. As you turn there, I have a question for you that you could audibly answer. So, not just a rhetorical question, but in your own words, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Knowledge. The good use of knowledge. Using knowledge wisely. Isn't that using the, the, the question and the answer? Knowing when not to speak. A gift from God. The greatest thing to seek after. I don't think I found it yet. <laughs> is wisdom that that means wisdom is honesty? <laughs> Knowing what things matter. Separating facts from fiction, so discernment. With those answers and that thought in your mind, I invite you to stand one last time for in honor of reading the Lord's Word together, James 3, 13 through 18. So if you're able to stand, I invite you to please do so. James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father, we come before your word, which is wisdom. We pray that we would receive it well, and by receiving it, we would turn it into practice. Father, we pray against the enemy. We pray against his works or his servants the effects of the fall, we pray against those things and ask that your spirit would be here ministering to our hearts. Father, direct us as always and exalt your son Jesus. Edify the body. Father, I, I pray against the idea of wondering if this message is meant for someone else, not for us, personally. Would you internalize it for us? Father, would you get me out of the way and say what it is that you desire? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this past Thursday, Christy and I were happy to catch dinner with Kevin and Michaela Bingaman. <laughs> they were here to go and talk to Valley View Nazarene. We had dinner with them. As always, as I said, I mean, we've known Kevin since we've lived in Moscow for a year. He came over fairly often. We enjoyed each other. 
We met him one weekend at Moscow Church of the Nazarene. And, uh, and so as for Kevin currently being in the talks of being the pastor of Valley View Nazarene, uh, I think I can say the following because I don't know of anybody in St. Mary's Nazarene who listens to my sermons online. That's where he's at right now. He's a youth pastor in St. Mary's. But as he's been in discussion of being the pastor at Valley View Nazarene and, and being a year I think around my age, maybe a year younger, I've had more than a few conversations with folks from Valley View Nazarene, and the discussion always centralizes on qualifications. Is, is he too young? What's his experience? What has he uh, accomplished that makes him eligible to serve here? And you know, the joke goes uh, about the qualifications of a pastor we want somebody who preaches thoroughly, robustly, practically, and passionately, and does it exactly in ten minutes. <laughs> who condemns sins roundly, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. Who works from eight in the morning until midnight, and is also the church janitor. <laughs> who makes forty dollars a week, he wears good clothes, he, buys, or he drives a good car, and he buys good books, and he donates thirty dollars a week to the church. <laughs> who's 29 years old with 40 years of experience, and above all, he is handsome, and he has a burning desire to work with the teenagers, but he spends most of his time with senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to the church. Indeed, he also makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office, handy when needed. And he always has time for elders' meetings and all the committees. He never misses any of the church denomination meetings, but he's always busy evangelizing the unchurched. Too bad the perfect pastor is always in the church next over. <laughs> and as I thought about the time Christy and I had back in 2013, and I think about my friend Kevin and talks with Valley View Nazarene, I've been wondering lately, is it too naive of me, or is it too low, to, too low of a standard for me to say that I wonder? I think for, if not most churches, can we just throw out the gobs of packets that, that say the pastor needs these degrees, does these things, and etc.? Can we really just say that the pastor, or even just any Christian, needs to have the following down? They need to be humble. They need to be able to teach. And they need to be able to be taught. When it comes down to it, these three qualifications of Christians, are they truly humble? Are they able to teach? And if you don't like teach, maybe are they able to articulate their faith? And are they able to be taught? I wonder if you're humble. I wonder if you're able to articulate your faith. And I wonder if you can withstand being taught more about your faith. Listen to what James says when he opens up here in James chapter 3. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. We talked about faith a while ago because James did in his book, and I entitled that sermon, Faith Does. I tried to get us out of this belief that faith is something as simple as a mere mental assent or affirmation of a doctrine, but rather James told us that faith without works is dead. In other words, it's no faith at all. <laughs> the product of 
of true life-saving faith will always be works, is what James says. And it seems that James sees wisdom the same way. Wisdom does as well. <laughs> wisdom is not merely a knowledge thing. In fact, some have compared James's description of wisdom as to what Paul says people with the, filled with the Holy Spirit are. <laughs> in fact, we will see this in a bit. In verse 17, it sounds like James is giving a list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Only it's the fruit of wisdom. But here in verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? And the way that James will judge that is what James says next. He says, here's how I'll know. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works. You see, James doesn't say, let me see his degrees. <laughs> let me see his, his resume. In some ways, he says, let me see his experience. But, see, I know if most of, not all of us are rugged Idahoans, and we get this from a practical standpoint, don't we? It's, don't, it's why we don't like people who sit in offices and lives in cities are making laws about wolves or forest management where they don't live, nor do they ever seem to see. Why? Because though they are educated, they might have lots of initials past their names, there are things that simple, practical, practice, conduct, and hands-on experience that might teach them. <laughs> when it comes to the reality of what some of the laws that they have decided on makes ramifications for us. Not necessarily, um, but for them it's just verdicts on a piece of paper. James says, if we want to see wise and understanding people, we look not to what degrees they have learned, but by his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. You know, outside of the church and in the church as well, I was thinking this is not really seen as a quality of the wise from a worldly perspective. Meekness, gentleness, it literally means gentle strength. And in fact, it is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It expresses power with reserve and gentleness. I think about Christ, and I've said this before, but Christ ushered in a kingdom of God. And he did it without violence. He did it with peace. He did it with service. He did it gently. And it was and it is the most fruitful kingdom. Gentleness. It expresses power with reserve and gentleness. And this is what wisdom, wisdom looks like. Not people who are extremely educated and so open-minded that their brains fall out. <laughs> but people who by their conduct show their works in the meekness of wisdom. What James is saying is this. There is no such thing as being both wise and proud. Wise people know themselves, and that should humble them. Let me say that again. There is no such thing as being both wise and proud. Wise people know themselves, and that should humble them. Now, I want you to think of our society. Think of our political leaders. Think of our commentators. Think of our public voices that people think to be wise. And I was thinking, you know, I haven't heard that word wise or wisdom. It might be becoming archaic. 
but people who others say, you know, that guy says the right stuff. Are these commentators and political leaders and voices showing their wisdom by their gentle conduct? Or is everything about how much I can slam my opponents? Is everything about how much I can belittle their causes and beliefs? How right I am? And how many people can I get to agree with me? And with anger and force, let's blot out those opponents. Are these people considered the wise ones? And I move from the observation out in the world into the church. And as I opened with, what are churches looking for in pastors? <laughs> now, I haven't perused a lot of pastoral search packets, or I, haven't been I have been privy to a few pastoral searches growing up and, and in these past few years. And I know what is the norm. People are asking, well, what are their qualifications? Is, what's their education? Are they fit to lead us? Do they have lots of experience? Does their experience in education fit them for teaching us? And I, as I think about my simple, low-standard idea of what about humility, able to teach, and able to be taught, I think about God's mode of operation, modus operandi in the Bible, and he doesn't go to 40-year-old, lots of experience, and CEO of big businesses with degrees and revolutions. No, he goes to an 80-year-old sheep farmer with a lisp. <laughs> you know, Moses. Or, you know, Moses says he's not the best speaker. And he has a strong desire, in fact, to ignore God's mission. And for the king of Israel, God does not go to warrior, educated, lots of experience. He goes to a lowly shepherd boy named David. God doesn't come to earth in a palace with the finest of tutors at his disposal and a lineage of kingship to take up the mantle. He comes as a poor boy with no formal education to usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't hire a man with degrees in Bible education and public speaking and communication. He leaves the church in the hands of a fisherman who talks too much and doesn't think before he speaks. Now, I know, don't hear me wrong, it seems practical wisdom might tell us this. What is wrong with wanting a few qualifications for the pastors of churches when we look for them? What's wrong with trying to make educated guesses on selecting them? I, I get that. However... Oftentimes, people promoting themselves to be wise and educated may not come from a godly heart. James says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. I'm going to be using this term a lot. I came up with this term, so I'm going to have to explain it to you. In the church, I call these people hill dyers and self-promoters. What I mean by that is people who claim to be acting from wisdom, but when measured against what James says, what wisdom is, they fail. Right? I found my hill, and I'm dying on this hill. I'm right, and I know I'm right, and you're all wrong here, and I'm so zealous for the truth, so I'm going to go down on this hill. Hill dire. We call them church bosses, strong personalities, maybe strong opinions, Martyrs or prophetic voices, some people might call them at times. They would like to be called wise, but James says this is not godly wisdom, because it's not coming from humility. It's not coming from gentleness. The word jealousy in this phrase, bitter jealousy, is an important word. It's where I get my concept of hill dire, because that word jealous, or some translations might say envy, 
is the same word where we get zeal and eagerness from. Zealous people, hill dyers. When zeal is overtaken by that desire to just be right and to be respected and to be heard and to say that last word, you know, am I the only one who cares? Am I the only one who's still faithful? Hill dyers and self-promoters. They boast, we boast, join us, we got the truth. We're the only ones standing for it right now. We're the truly zealous. But they're being false to the truth. They're being false to godliness. Because in the hearts of hill dyers is self-promotion. They'll call it being true to God. But it's really, wow, I can't believe I'm the only one who cares about God here. But even in that sentiment, it's promoting it's pointing people to self. It's saying, listen to me. I have wisdom. This is why James is saying, take stock of yourself. Do you have bitter jealousy, bitter envy, misguided zeal in your heart and self-promotion? And come on, you and I can be honest. It might hurt, but we can be honest in our evaluations where we come from in those moments. Is our zealousness really from, I want to honor God and protect the flock and I'm not in it for me? Or is this zealousness out of the heart of, I'm going to die on this hill so people can see what a great saint I am? <laughs> Which is really a contradiction in terms, because according to James, we're no saints. Our wisdom is really folly and self-seeking. Because if we were truly concerned about God's honor, and if godly wisdom was directing our hearts in zeal, it would be done in humble, gentle conduct. I want to give you two examples from Jesus, who I think we could hopefully all agree, who is the most zealous and wise teacher who ever lived. One example, the people who feel convicted on being a hill dyer and self-promoter today, this is why I came to this example, I was being convicted, we might be thinking of Jesus in the temple when he threw out the moneylenders, right? Was that gentle? Was that mild-mannered? He threw out the moneylenders. And you know, wasn't Jesus dying on that hill? He was actually on the cross, which stands over the temple, and Jesus is now the temple. We're not going to the temple to worship. We go to Jesus. We don't dwell in the temple. The temple dwells in us. But Jesus' zeal led him to, to fashion a whip, which have you ever thought about how long that takes? Jesus had some time to think there. <laughs> there was some time for his anger to subside as he fashioned that whip. But then he, in essence, like bouncer style, goes in and throws people out of the temple. This is God's house, and you're using it to make money like a tourist attraction. Get out of here. Jesus was right. That was right-founded zeal. It, it didn't come from pride, but it wasn't mild-mannered either. So there are times when being immovable about a subject might be a little bit more than mild-mannered. What I would say, though, those of you who feel a little vindicated now, if you're a hill dyer, when looking to Jesus, is ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if you can die on that hill humbly. Can you die on that hill for God alone and his glory? Or are you really concerned about being right and being better than the rest? See, there's no such thing as a wise person proud about their wisdom. Does that make sense? 
I want to show you another time when Christians were understandably offended or, or moved in the area of zeal, but it was a wrong zeal. It's one of my favorite passages, so you may have heard it already, but Luke 9, beginning with verse 51, says, When the days drew near for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. You hear that? <laughs> People being inhospitable to Jesus and his disciples, Jesus has his face set towards Jerusalem, Passover is coming, Jesus' cross is coming, and so he's headed there, and they're in Samaria, and Samaria could care less about Jerusalem. It's a religious matter that they bicker over, and then they might be saying, a bunch of Jews on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Yeah, you can't stay here. We'll, we'll boycott you. And what strikes me when it comes to zeal is not only James and John's idea, but Jesus' seemingly mild-mannered response. See, because James and John are like, can we fry them? <laughs> right? Jerusalem is where true worship happens. We're part of Team Jesus. They're wrong. They're rejecting Team Jesus. They had their chance. They're wrong. Jesus, can we just fry them? Zealous, much. <laughs> they have a hill they want to die on, and they respond violently. And they make their point, right? If they're fried, everyone can look around and say, Don't mess with Team Jesus. We better join them. <laughs> Bitter jealousy. Have you ever wanted to be that right? <laughs> I don't know how many times I did as a child, and maybe I still do it as an adult, maybe you're with me, and you're arguing over the finer point of theology, and finally you just say, oh, that's fine. God will tell you I'm right when we get to heaven. <laughs> that's not wanting to defend God's honor. That's just wanting to be right. <laughs> that's wanting God to vindicate our stances in theology. And that's exactly what James and John are saying here. Jesus, we know you're right, we know we're right, and they're wrong, so just fry them. Just let them know they're wrong. Set an example. Vindicate us. And what's more telling on how God's godly wisdom reacts is these two brief sentences. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Right? How many of you are just as fired up but in the opposite direction? <laughs> You want to be a hill dyer and self-promoter on the cause of peace, and you wish Jesus would have just said, How about we fry you instead? Let's see how you like it. Are you kidding me? You want to do Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0 in this village? Do you even understand peace on earth and goodwill towards men? Jesus could have had a violent reaction here, but he rebuked them. And as I said before, I wish I knew how that conversation went down. But they continued, no hill dying. No self-promoting, just growing in faith, just, no, we don't fry people. Shame on you for thinking that. Let's go. Sadly, there are churches with ministers who are hill dyers and self-promoters, and churches filled with seats who are hill dyers and self-promoters. And James, see, i got people raising their hands. This is good, public confession. All right. James tells us their end. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, 
but as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. This wisdom is increasingly worse than James's description of it. It's earthly, worse it's unspiritual, and the worst it's demonic. Earthly in much of the Bible and in places like John 3, 12, 1 Corinthians 15, 40, 2 Corinthians 5, 1, Philippians 2, 10, and 3, 19. I've included all those references in your outline. But whenever speaking of earthly, it refers to life apart from the will of God, or maybe life even apart from the acknowledgement of God. So wisdom that is earthly is merely imitating the world, this is why in politics for Christians, it should not be enough to merely fight the world's ways with different ideas. We should not choose between two platforms or more, but we should seek out character. Wise people who by their conduct show their good works in the meekness of wisdom. It's why celebrity pastors who might be celebrities even in the world could be because they're simply sanitized versions of worldly celebrities. We should check wisdom. We need to ask ourselves, if we think we have godly wisdom, are we humble? Do our good works show it? If not, there's no such thing as a wise person who lords over people in the church or out of the church. By James's definition, they're not wise to begin with. It's not wise to to say, you're wrong, here's my big Bible, and I'll hit you in the face after I cite chapter and verse and tell you how I got it all figured out, and you don't. <laughs> you lousy sinner who can't even spell Bible, let alone follow it. That's not wisdom speaking. That's a worldly wisdom that's earthly and unspiritual. Jude, verses 17 through 23, we read... But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Same idea, those whose so-called wisdom is unspiritual. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Unspiritual is this idea that instead of living life and demonstrating spiritual wisdom, which we will discuss here in a minute as we finish James chapter 3, the fruits of that unspiritual wisdom is one that is saturated with ungodly, selfish passions. James and John were not looking to vindicate Jesus so much as they were looking to take out their zealous anger on people who rejected them. Proud people who claim to be wise yell and are forceful because they want to be seen as the heroic hilt-eyer, the martyr and the saint and the dying champion of their cause. <clears throat> self-fame, self-glory, not God's glory, unspiritual pursuit. And, <clears throat> and the so-called wisdom of this world, earthly, and the so-called wisdom that's unspiritual and self-seeking, then it's wisdom that's ultimately demonic. It's demonic in origin. 
Why? Because it's a fruit of the world. It's unspiritual, that is, it's of the flesh and it's seeking to gratify the flesh. And James says in verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Maybe it's kind of an obvious thing when you think about it. But you cannot have a proud, so-called wise person spouting off so-called wisdom that's served exactly the same way the world serves us, and it's fueling their own personal desires and their self-centeredness, and then you expect it to be of God. (laughs) Now, God may use donkeys to speak. He might prophesy ironically through people who don't expect to. But what James is saying here is frightening in verse 16, because I don't know about you, but I know a lot of hill dyers and self-promoters in the church. And if we hill dyers and self-promoters take the stage, and, and if we all die on our hills, and this version of wisdom goes unheeded, James says there will be this, this sort of jealousy, this sort of misplaced zealousness, and if this self, selfish ambition exists, that's hell's ultimate desire, because disorder in every vile practice will be not too far along with it. Why? We are letting sin masquerade as so-called wisdom. So what other sins are going unchecked? What other sins are being openly practiced? And what James is saying is that the root of every vile practice is this jealousy and selfish ambition. Think about it. I used to wonder why why is the tenth commandment the tenth commandment? It seems kind of do not envy. Okay, kind of a weird ending for me. You know, I understand the first part, have no other gods, things there there would be some sort of closure. But as I was thinking about it, it ends with do not envy because most sins are wanting what we know we ought not to have. We we want fame, we want power, we want sex or pleasure or money. And listen to this, Americans, we want comfort, we want convenience, we want familiarity. And so half the time our money and our vote and our ears are going to go to the hill dyers and self-promoters who promise these things one way or another. You hear that? And all of this practice of sin and, and wanting more sin, we just sanitize the world's version of ungodly wisdom and then we allow it in the church. Yeah, die on our hill. <laughs> Champion our cause. You got the right words. Friends, this isn't a breeding ground for a successful church. It's just racks of kindling wood for judgment. Sin abounds. All right, we're done. (laughs) Thankfully, James does not leave us hanging. He does that sometimes. Because he's presented the bad news. And he's done us a great favor of showing us false, ungodly, earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom for what it is. And it scares us, or it should, to know that it exists, to know that we've partaken in it. But now he shows us a better way. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, a harv- and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I think it's very important to frame those two verses in the last two words, circle them if you're a word circler in your Bible, Make peace. Some say cultivate peace. Others begin that verse with peacemakers. Because when people hear the word peace, they think stillness, quietness, 
maybe not careless, but at least carefree, inactivity, tranquility. And the Bible says we make peace. That's an active thing. Do you know the best peacemaker in the Bible? Jesus. <laughs> Again, he ushered in the most effective, most powerful, the everlasting, the ultimate, the worldwide kingdom, and he did it by making peace. And he died a violent, brutal death by making peace. He ticked off a lot of people by making peace. He did an amazing ministry of preaching, teaching, discipling, healing, and demon exercising by making peace. And in order for you and I to make peace, we need to enter chaos. We need to enter where peace does not exist in order to bring it and make it. It's why ministry is messy and uncomfortable and the like. Because we don't enter into areas where peace is already present. We enter where peace is needed to make it. And by God's grace, through his spirit and his power alone, bring it. And God's ministry is a word ministry. We talked about that last week. He told us that we were made by his word and were saved by his word and were taught his word and we are his word through our actions. And so the word that is wisdom from above is first of all pure. The word means innocence and moral blamelessness. Friends, that is why, by God's grace, I teach from the Bible because I'm not innocent. And I'm certainly not morally blameless. God's wisdom is always like this. And the enemy has a heyday by trying to confuse us with worldly wisdom, so sometimes impure wisdom that sounds pure. But let's test our wisdom against these other descriptions that James has. He says that godly wisdom is pure, then peaceable, and gentle. And if you think about it, I'll just tell you that I don't like that. <laughs> I'm a guy who loves counselors. Big decisions. I love bouncing my ideas off of everybody. Some of you have been on the receiving end of this. And I can kick some situations like a dead horse. And if I'm honest, I hesitate sharing this because some of you are going to take advantage of it now. But if I'm honest, I really sometimes want some people to be forceful, direct, and abrasive as needed. As in, do this, you wacko. <laughs> Stop deliberating so much. Here's what you need to do. <laughs> But I'm, I know I'm receiving godly counsel because it's peaceable and gentle. Well, here are some thoughts, but I'm not going to make your decision for you. Well, here are some considerations. And it's helpful. Sometimes it's not concise. Sometimes it's not a big red truck. Do this option. Because it's peaceable and gentle. This is not to say that wisdom in God's kingdom is not rock solid. <laughs> Of course it is. James will tell us that God's wisdom is impartial and sincere. We understand that even the teaching of Jesus being God and dying for our sins is a peaceable and gentle teaching. Nevertheless, it's firmly true. <laughs> we get that. Don't walk away thinking the Bible is vague and open-ended and transparent. It's pure, impartial, and sincere. An example, babies are innocent and pure and are solid. I won't comment on if they're peaceable or gentle. <laughs> Wisdom is also open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruit. This is what we hill dyers and self-promoters totally do not understand. <laughs> hill dyers and self-promoters are, are martyrs, and by the grace of God, hopefully those of us who are hill dyers can relent and repent before we die. 
But as long as we're dying for causes, we will leave reason. Sometimes we will show no mercy long before you convinced us otherwise. You know why Jesus did not fry John and James on their wonderful plan to do Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0? Jesus is open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Jesus says, I understand why you're upset, but let's show mercy here and I'll show mercy here to you two knuckleheads for this idea. We don't fry people we don't like. Vengeance is God's and not having a place to sleep is a bummer, but certainly nothing that deserves instantaneous burning. Let's move on. That's a reasonable, merciful response to both the Samaritans and to James and John who came up with their idea. Sometimes we hill dyers cannot be convinced otherwise. Sound reason doesn't make sense to us because it might force us to admit that maybe we're a little immovable on something that's moving. <laughs> it might force us to admit that we might be wrong. Hill dyers often show no mercy to their opponents because their opponents aren't joining their cause. Jesus says, be merciful to your enemies. What does that mean? Sometimes it means conceding. Sometimes it means showing grace. Sometimes it means, I don't have to join you, but I'm done arguing. You have my love and my well wishes and prayers. Does that make sense? And it's impartial and sincere, and we Hildires need to hear this, especially after what I just said, because just because wisdom is peaceful and wisdom is open to reason, and wisdom is full of mercy, doesn't mean that it's partial and insincere. <clears throat> I say this because most Hildires in the church are all about sincerity, or at least that's their claim. I want to be a sincere believer, partial only to what God wants. Don't tell me I'm wrong. It's right here in this book. book. I'll hit you in the head with it one more time. And James is saying, hey, when you show mercy to your opponents, when you concede on points, when you're open to reason, you're not saying, okay, I'll compromise. You're not saying, okay, you're right, we'll just rip out that book in the Bible. Good idea. You're not saying that at all. You're saying, I don't need to defend God. He's got a good defense plan already. He, he told me just to tell you the truth, and I have. He's also told me to love you, and so I will. And so wisdom is, is humble, full of forgiveness, grace, and mercy. It's impartial. You're not taking their side if you're nice to them. You're just doing what God told you to do, and it's sincere. Don't play act. Don't say, well, I've got to be nice now, so I'll just keep my snarky comments for you in my head. Rather, release those to God and just love them. Choose love. Choose Niceness, choose God's grace, it's sincere. Do you hear that? Friends, it's so important that we understand and we practice this wisdom. Woodland Friends is full of people with different opinions, sometimes strong opinions, and if we're not careful, hill dyers and self-promoters. But the health and the stability of our gathering is dependent on this very issue right here. If we're practicing godly wisdom, because James says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And if you and I want God's righteousness to take place here in this church, we need to make peace. We need to have this sort of wisdom about us. We need to be approachable. We need to have 
mercy. We need to not be hill dyers and self-promoters. I think enough hill dyers and self-promoters do damage to God's witness already. But by God's grace, let's get in on this wisdom. Let's sow in peace, not chaos, not hill dying, not self-promoting, but peace-making and God-exalting. Let's sow in peace by making peace. And you might say, how so? And it comes back to the point I made earlier. What James lays out here is what Paul lays out when he talks about fruit of the Spirit. So the answer is what it always is. We, and it's going to show up in James 4, 7 through 8, only a few verses after this. We need to always submit to God and be drawing near to God to receive His Spirit. We need to be immersed in Jesus. We need to be immersed in His Spirit. We need His Spirit to be like Him in order to see a harvest of righteousness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, uh, I grew up in a weird place where it seems we value force, we value being right and dying on hills, we value independence. Some of us who grew up in the Quaker church understand peace, but then sometimes we go the opposite direction and want to die on that hill. Father, the only hill I want to die on is what you're living for and what you're doing. Father, for those of us who are hill dyers and self-promoters, I just pray for myself, would you forgive us of the sins that we partake in, uh, of wanting to say that we're living for your good and glory, but we're really living to be counted among the, the martyrs and saints of old, and look at us and how great we are and how we got the Bible figured out. Father, would you help us to be as you are with James and John, because certainly there was going to be judgment for those people if they never repented. But vengeance is yours and it's on your time. Who are we to judge one another in that way? Father, would you give us this godly wisdom? Would you help us to be peaceful with our neighbors, especially the ones that tick us off? Especially the ones where we want to prove to them one more time how right we are? Father, would you help us to be approachable? Would people want to come here because they see you and you alone? They don't see a bunch of people with their opinions, but they see Jesus Christ. And they see him crucified, and they see him glorified. And they see him for who he is and what he has done. Father, we love you and we thank you, and we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.